That's right. This is going to be a sleeves-up evening. Sorry. As you can see tonight, we'll be talking about money. Forget politics and religion. The one thing you don't talk about in polite society is money. What do you spend it on and what do you do with it? I was inspired to bring... I've been wanting to bring a message on this for a while, but I saw a person that had the guts to stand in front of a audience of 16,000 people, e-audience, and say that uh, tithing, you shouldn't be tithing. You should be giving joyfully and not of necessity. So if you have your Bible or your e-Bible, turn to uh, 2 Corinthians 9.7. Now, while it's great to see people to understand, you know, I'm not supposed to be tithing, I'm supposed to be giving, um, not of necessity, that's great, but... If you're going to stand up and make a statement like that, you need to know why. You know, it's not enough to hear, well, that guy said it was wrong, so it's wrong. You need to be fully persuaded in your own mind from the Bible. And as you can see at the top of your outline, early on in this, when I was preparing the lesson, I thought there's no way I'm going to get through this in one night unless I keep you guys here for an hour and a half. And, you know, Tim will have been sleeping for 45 minutes by the time I finish, so it's going to be at least a two-parter. But Second um, Corinthians 9.7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. So our giving is not according to a necessity or a grudge or something that we have to do, but every man is called to purpose in his own heart how much he wants to give. That's a lot different from the law. And church, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, church is big business. Billions, with the B, billions of dollars every year are given to churches. Whether it be tithes, offerings, you know, the old lady wills her estate to the church when she dies. Billions of dollars go to church. I'd like to get my hands on some of them. No. <laughs> You know, you think about, I think about um, Rush Limbaugh. You know, he's a multi-hundred millionaire, but I remember watching an interview with him where he, was let, he brought the interviewer into the radio station where he works, and he brings him into a conference room, and the lady says, what's this? And he goes, this is the table where we separate people from their money. This was his meeting table where he negotiated contracts, where we, I get people to happily give me all their money. But that's what churches do to people. People are, you know, can't wait to get in the offering place, can't wait to give money, and they're happy about giving money. Churches are very good, enough to make even a capitalist like Rush Limbaugh blush. They've got lots of different ways of separating you from your money, from your cash. And I don't know if any of you have heard about this. Uh, Joel Osteen's church was robbed recently. Um, the good news is that they only got the weekend's offerings, so they didn't lose much. You know, just, just what came in on Saturday and Sunday, that's all they lost. Uh, $600,000 for the weekend offering. That's a lot of money. But, um, and it's funny, you know, in most churches, most churches have a list of things that you must sign on to before they'll let you sweep the floor. You know, most churches, were you baptized? Were you baptized right? Were you baptized by our guy? Were you baptized the right way? Um, did you go through this class? Did you do this? Oh, I'm sorry. The only thing you're allowed to do 
the only thing you're good enough for until we've baptized, catechized, and simonized you is give us money. That's what you're good enough for. Doesn't that tell you something? I won't let you sweep my floor. I won't let you watch a nursery class, but I'll take your check every single time you walk in the door. Something bad wrong with that. You can't do this without precondition, but you can give me the money. Give me the money. And it's funny, on surveys, 80% of the money that comes into churches goes just to pay operating costs, just to pay the salaries, keep the lights on, mow the grass, pay the people that do this, to just perpetuate the machine. They're not, they're not gaining ground. They're not spreading out. They're just sustaining themselves with all the money that comes in. What are we getting for our money? We're not getting much of a product. Um, now, before I talk about money and church, I want to give a little disclaimer. I have never taken, I've been at this five or six years now, I don't know. I've never taken one dime for preaching or teaching. Not one cent. A lot of people laugh at that, say, well, that's no problem. I've heard you teach or preach. <laughs> Who would want to pay you? But, <laughs> but I've never said, I've never had the emotional music play and get everybody whipped up into a big emotional crescendo and then say, as the organist plays, as the pianist plays, will the ushers come forward? Now that you're crying and feel good, now I want to talk to your wallet. I've never done that. Never asked for an offering. Um, and any money that I have gotten in through whatever offerings, I've spent on books, buying people books, or, or buying tracks, or bandwidth on the Internet, or website stuff. I've never taken it and put it in my bank account and said, what a good job did I do today. Um, I've got the crazy idea from the Apostle Paul that somebody who's teaching and preaching should have a job and pay for his own bills. Crazy idea. We'll get into more of that next week. Um, but I don't say, I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, because honestly, if you look at the pile of offerings I've got over the years, it's not much of a horn to toot. There's not much to say, look at me about. It's just, what I, I want to say that right at the offset, you're not listening to a hypocrite talk about money. Okay, so, um, and the other reason I, I, that I wanted to do this lesson was I thought it good to do it because, honestly, I never know when I'm going to hit people's eject buttons. <laughs> what am I talking about? Over the past years, you know, Melissa would come up to me and say, have you seen so-and-so? I haven't seen them in a few weeks. And I don't know. I must have pressed their eject button. And what that is is, you know, I'm just going through the lesson, teaching what I've studied, and innocently saying what I believe about what I've studied and God's Word, and suddenly I will say something so offensive to someone that they can never stand the sight of my face again, and they're gone. Eject button. And I never know when that's going to happen, so before I find any of your eject buttons, let me at least teach this concept on money, so no one will ever be able to swindle you or trick you out of your money in a church ever again. And you know, I've got on the board tithes, offerings, and money, oh my. Uh, you can go to the Christian bookstore, and they've got an aisle on this stuff. Not a shelf, an aisle. You can go online. You can go to any church and hear people teach on tithing, offering, money, God's promises for money, God's covenant for this, God's secret kingdom of riches that he wants to bulldoze. You can find any of them. But what we're going to do tonight is study the Bible. Of all 
crazy ideas. We're going to study what the Bible says about this. Now, I have on your outline, when was tithing taught in America? Well, when I was growing up, tithing was tithing. The process of, I get paid, you give me 10% to the church. That's what tithing is. On the gross, not on the net. You don't want to be under God's curse. I say that with my tongue firmly planted in my cheek. But it was presented to me as tithing was a timeless doctrine. From everlasting to everlasting, this is what you should be doing. I'll tell you something right now. If somebody walked up to me and handed me a check for $72.87, red flags going off. Nobody goes, you know, honey, I've been thinking we should give money. I think we should give Steve $72.87. Nobody thinks that. You come up with a round number, 70, 75, you know, something like that. So immediately I would ask them, is this to pay a certain bill that you know about? Two or three questions down the road, I'm going to find out it's a tithe check. I can't accept a tithe check. <gasps> Is it, I'm, if I accept that, I'm teaching someone it's okay to do a wrong thing, and I'm profiting from teaching someone it's okay to do a wrong thing. That's a wrong thing to do. I'm not going to do it. Anyway, get off point. What if... So, when did people show up in America after the Native Americans? 1492, well, Columbus didn't make it to, you know, 15th, 16th century, right? If tithing is timeless, that's, that had to be when tithing was first taught in America, right? Everybody's tithed, forever. Tithing in America late 19th century. First time pulpits in America started teaching the people in the pews to tithe. Hmm. I don't know how your brain works, but mine goes, why? I was a good little Baptist boy. I was taught the principles and precepts of tithing and the promises and the covenants and all that. Why? You know, and we can, tr we can take our Baptist trail of blood all the way back to John the Baptist. You know, that's what they teach. Why wouldn't American Baptists be teaching tithing to the late 19th century? Hmm. So, what happened mid-19th century? We have a great civil war in our country. You know, hundreds of thousands of men dead. Economies disrupted. All this horror and chaos throughout the land. People don't have a lot of money. Well, the dirty little secret is before... The late 19th century, the church, the preacher, the people that worked at the church and the preacher, were paid for by the town. We would have the Uniontown Church. And our taxes that we paid to Uniontown would pay the preacher's salary, would pay for the building, would pay for the upkeep. It was a public thing. So they're getting paid regardless. Why do they need to teach a tithe? Isn't that, isn't that something? When the money from the public dries up. When they start losing their money, all of a sudden, we, it is so important for us to teach this tithing principle. That's flesh. That's how flesh operates. 
They've got to get paid somehow, right? They don't want to lose their job. They wouldn't dare set people at liberty and teach them the proper principles of giving and then see what happens. You know why people don't want to set people at liberty? Because when somebody is at liberty, they're free to be whoever they want to be. And half of the people go bonkers, and half of the people do the right thing. Well, most of the people go bonkers, and a few of the people do the right thing. That's this. It's if I just keep them in bondage and under legalism, I can get paid. Glory to God in the highest, right? And, you know, when you find out truths like that, it just it makes you mad. It makes you mad at the people who are purposely deceiving people, people who know better. It makes you mad for the people who are nice people trying to do a good job, but they've been deceived, so now they're out there. They're still nice. They're still good people. But they're teaching people to live under bondage, and they don't know it. It makes you mad. That's what I stand up here and I preach a mid-acts dispensational perspective of the Bible. Mid-Acts. Our doctrine began somewhere in the middle of the book of Acts after Acts 9 when Paul gets saved. You know, some people are 13ers because that was his first message, you know. I'm an Acts 9er, but Mid-Acts, that's when our doctrine began to be preached. Dispensational. You have to respect the divisions in your Bible on, I said this to Old Testament Israel. I said this to you. I say this to New Covenant Israel and their kingdom. You, know, you have to respect those things. But when you learn this, when you get it, and the, the reality of what's actually being taught everywhere and the reality of what's truth really sets in, you get mad. And... That's what happens with money when you find out, hopefully over the next couple of weeks, what your perspective on money and church and your life and your finances should be. You'll get mad. Try to operate in grace and truth and let that flesh be dead and just walk in newness of life. But when you see the truth of this is the only way I, my Bible makes sense, this is the only way that you can understand this book, you just, ah, you're mad. Why isn't anybody teaching this? Why have I never heard this? Why does nobody know this? Why does, when I tell people this, why, don't any, why doesn't anybody want to hear it? You get mad. Well, you're an ambassador operating in the devil's sin-cursed earth, and the devil runs the pulpit, so get used to it. But, like I said, if I, if I take the opportunity now to teach... The title I put is The Grace Message to Your Wallet. If I can teach that, you will forever be protected from pretty little liars with good hair and three-piece suits that work in pulpits. And that's a good thing. So, you're in Second Corinthians. Flip over to Titus. I just said liars and thieves that work in pulpits. That's ridiculous, Steve. Don't speak against the Lord's anointed. Where do you get an idea like that? Titus 1.9. Paul's admonishing Titus. Titus is a guy I'd like to meet when we get up into heavenly places. Titus is one guy. Paul sends him into the lion's den, the island of Crete. Just a hot mess. 
Have at it, Titus. Here's your instructions. Go do it. I mean, that's confidence. That's a guy who Paul had a lot of confidence in to go preach the word. But in Titus 1.9, he says, Holding fast that faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Gainsayers. You probably don't use that word very much every week. You're saying things, you're presenting your argument, your speech, to gain from it, to get money. Nobody, you know, I made the, the point earlier, let's have the offering at the emotional crescendo right after I get everybody in tears. Nobody, as people are walking in, trying to find their seats, they're getting their kids settled, here's the offering! Oh, I can't even figure out where my wallet is. They're not going to do that. They're going to gainsay, they're going to... Arrange their service to the point where you're going to get maximum money. That's gainsaying. But he says, There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not. Why? For filthy lucre's sake. Dirty money. They want the money, they'll get it any way they can. Dirty or otherwise. We'll talk about this next week, but... A prime example of somebody who fits the description in this verse? Pat Robertson. Man's on TV. Everybody knows Pat Robertson. He's got this huge following. He is a gainsayer. He's... Save it for next week. If you want some homework, look up The Secret Kingdom, which he still quotes on his website today. But for that's enough of that for now. Talk about the tithe. The tithe... Not from Steve, the tithe not from Pat Robertson, the tithe not from the Methodist down the street, the tithe from here. God's Word. Definition of the word tithe is the tenth part of anything, but appropriately the tenth part of the increase annually arising from the profits of land and stock. So, when we talk tithe, talking 10% of something, whether it be your sheep, your cattle, your money, your, your whatever. We're not an agrarian society anymore, so we wouldn't much understand that. But we read that verse in Second Corinthians. Every man give according as he purposes in his own heart, not of necessity. Um, that's necessity. <laughs> Think tax. Anybody here have optional taxes? I haven't found that box to check yet. I opt out. They send people to your door with bracelets. And they put those bracelets on both your wrists and then you walk away. It's a tax. It's a necessity. It's not optional. Call the IRS. Tell them, you know, Internal Revenue Service, I've been reading my Bible, 2 Corinthians 9-7, and you know, I, I really don't purpose in my heart this year to give money to you. You know, this government's supporting abortion and this government's putting on wars I don't agree with. I, I just don't purpose in my heart to give. What's going to happen? I'll come visit you in jail. I promise. I'll say, I was kidding when I said that. <laughs> they will take you to jail. They will levy your bank account. They will get their money. It's necessity. It's not optional. And it's got nothing to do with what your heart purposes. It's something that has to be done. And that's where you run into, you'll notice on your outline sometimes, I'll put this verse versus this verse. Because I can find Bible to support both sides of most positions. But the question is, what's our doctrine today? Second Corinthians 9-7, that's Bible. 
You can give as you purpose in your own heart. Right? It's not necessary, but you know, as you see fit. I can find you Bible in Malachi 3 where he says, if you're not doing that, you're robbing God. Which one do you choose? That's where the whole mid-Acts dispensational comes in. You've got to know how to rightly divide God. And also in Malachi 3, God curses who he's talking to with a curse because they didn't give the money. That's preached in pulpits everywhere, especially in the summertime. When attendance is down, people are off on vacation, and the offerings are going, no, 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 no. Well, hopefully, if you ever find yourself in one of those places one day, you'll know better after these couple weeks. But you can't make both the same. You're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Second Corinthians says, whatever your heart, whatever you purpose in your own heart. Malachi 3 says, unless you're doing that, you're committing robbery. They can't be the same. You have to pick one. It doesn't stop many people from trying, though. You look over some doctrinal statements of some fundamental churches, and it gets downright scary how double-minded you go as you learn about grace on this page, and you learn you're under the law on this page, and you learn you're in Israel's kingdom over here on this page. It's a mess. But the tithe was a requirement under the law. Turn to the beginning of your Bible. I mentioned that a tithe was a tax. I think it's fitting to turn to Levi taxes. Leviticus, Levi taxes. The first time you see the word tithe, just like it is there without being plural or anything, is in Leviticus 2730. 2730. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. You see that capital L-O-R-D in your King James Bible. That is the word for Jehovah. It is holy unto the Lord. Alright? So you see that tenth there is holy unto the Lord. Turn over to Numbers real quick. Keep your finger over there and levy tickets. First tithe in your Old Testament is often called the temple tithe. Now you remember that there were 12 tribes in the land of Israel. You got 12 tribes. Most people can only remember the tribe named Judah. <laughs> Nobody ever remembers Manasseh or anything like that, but when they're coming out of Egypt and they're, they're heading to the promised land and they're wandering all those 40 years in the wilderness, these 12 tribes, and they're waiting to get into the promised land. And, and there was one tribe called the Levites. And they were the tribe that well, the priests were going to come from, the people who were running the temple, the people who were offering the sacrifices and, and doing all the service of God. Now, when... God was bringing them into the promised land. You know, I, I think when I read this, I think of um, Price is Right when they have their showcase showdowns. 
And they'd always say, let's see what's in your showcase, you know. And you'd see, oh, it's a car and a vacation or whatever. When, I, when Levi gets his showcase, it's, let's see what's in your showcase. Nothing. You get nothing. Let's read about it here. Numbers 18, 20, talking about when they finally make it into this land. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in the land. What? I've been walking for 40 years. What? What a condo somewhere maybe? Beach house? Timeshare? What? Thou shalt have no inheritance in the land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. I am thy part and thine inheritance among the children of Israel. Okay, so I don't even get land, but... I get you, Lord. How's that going to work out? Well, he says it right here in 21. Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance, for their service, which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the other 11 tribes owe 10% to them. That's their inheritance. You don't get any land. But the other 11 tribes pay you 10% every year for your service and what you do in this tabernacle. And it makes sense. You know, a priest is somebody who intercedes between you and God and, and in all these services. You don't really want those people having, making land deals you know, on the side. Or, I'm going to go talk to God about this and let's see if it profits me and gets my land bigger. You know, it's human nature, but that's their part. They don't get land, but the other tribes have to pay them 10% every year to do the service so they can live, so they can have their sustenance and do all the functions of the temple. So that's not a bad deal. You, know, you don't get real estate, but you're always going to get paid. So it's fine. But that today, modern pastors, fundamental pastors, will take you to this passage and say, what do you think I'm doing here? Isn't this our... Baptist temple? Isn't this our Methodist temple? And what do you think I'm doing here? I'm doing the service of the tabernacle and the service of the congregation and serving you people. You're telling me they had to pay 10%, but you don't? That's preached from pulpits. Shamefully, but it is. Drop down to verse 24 here in Numbers. But the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. So they don't get the land, but they get the tithe. So let me just see if I can make us a little chart here. We'll call that the temple tithe. 10% to the Levites. All right. And here's something you'll never hear preached. Not everyone in Israel was required to pay this tithe. I've never heard that before preached in church. Everybody has to give from the smallest to the greatest of you. Turn back. I said to keep in uh, Leviticus 27. 2730, we just read it. 
And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Question. What if you don't own any land? What if you're poor old Mephibosheth working paycheck to paycheck for Ezekiel over here and you don't own any land? You're renting a little barn to live in. I don't own a tree, Lord. I don't own any land. How am I going to tithe it? You don't, because you don't have any. People today, you know, they love to teach the widow's might. Even if you've got nothing. But under the law, if you don't own land, if you don't have trees, if you don't have crops, you don't give. That's where the faith promises was begin to be taught too, by the way. Anybody ever hear of the faith promise giving? The faith promise. I still remember it today. There was a big board. Okay, that's not going to work out right. Let's just... It was like a thermometer. And whatever they would want... Let's say they wanted to raise $10,000 for the Lord, whatever. And they, every week, this is our faith promise. You don't have the money right now. But I want you to, by faith, trust God that I'm going to say, I'm going to give you $5,000 this year and trust God to give it. Teaching people to make bad financial decisions as long as they get paid doesn't make any sense. But that, I, I remember this today. You don't have the money? Trust. Give me the money now and trust that God's going to pay you back tenfold. <gasps> More on that next week. Uh, here in Levi, Texas still, look at verse 31. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereunto the fifth part thereof. What's that talking about? If you want to turn it into money, if you want to sell, rather than, you know, bring the crops, if you just want to bring a check, you've got to add 20% to it if you're going to turn it into money. Um, and uh, concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, look at this one in verse 32. The tenth shall be holy. You can imagine a shepherd here. He's bringing his sheep out into the field, into the pasture, and he's holding out his rod. One, two, three, four. Every time he gets to ten, that one, he's a tithe. Seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. That one, he's a tithe. That's what he's talking about. Every tenth one is a tithe unto the Lord. What if you've only got nine? What if you've only got eight? Faith promise. Trust that the Lord's going to give you those sheep. No. If you don't have ten, you don't pay the tithe. Nope. I had ten yesterday, but then the lion came out, and now the lion's had dinner, and I've only got nine. Faith promise. No. You don't tithe, because you don't have ten. So it's not for everybody. Tell your local deacon that. (laughs) Your local preacher that. And then go... The condemnation of your lack of faith and despising God and not trusting Him will be so loud, it'll hurt your ears, cover your ears. I'm just reading Bible. I can't help what they believe and what they've been taught, but 
That was the first tithe in the Old Testament. Hmm? There's more than one? Well, I went to my tea party rally with my anti-Obama sign, and I was singing that Ray Stevens song, If 10% was good enough for Jesus, it ought to be enough for Uncle Sam. Anybody ever heard that one? Now you know why I don't lead the songs. But uh, <laughs> There's more than 10% in your Bible. That was the first one. There's another one. This one's often called the festival tithe. Every year, turn over to Deuteronomy again, Deuteronomy 12. Let's just read the verses. Deuteronomy 12.1 These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Does that sound optional? Does that sound like, as your purpose in your heart? Sounds pretty matter of fact. This is the law. This is what you will do. It's because it was. Drop down to verse 5. But unto the place which the Lord God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there. Remember as the children of Israel were moving across the wilderness and they had to keep tearing down the tabernacle and then the Spirit of God would move and okay, God stayed there. That's where we set it up. That's what we're talking about. This is where God is. Eventually was Jerusalem when they got into the promised land. But they had to go from whatever town they were in to that place. The place your Lord God shall choose to put his name there, even his habitation, shall you seek, and thither shalt thou come. That means where God is, go there. Where the temple is, where the Ark of the Covenant is, that's where you go. And thither shall you bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices and your tithes and your heave offerings of your hand and your vows and freewill offerings and the firstlings of your herd and your flocks. And there ye shall eat before the Lord your God and have a party. And ye shall rejoice in all that ye put your hand to, ye and your households, wherein the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. So now you're thinking, wait, I'm supposed to save ten more percent? I've already paid the Levites ten percent, and now I've got to pay ten percent to rejoice? What's that about? And a ten percent tithe to rejoice. Well, God has reasons to do these things. God, I don't follow the liturgical calendar because God only set one of them up and the liturgical calendar that's practiced by churches today has nothing to do with God and God's word. God set up a calendar with the nation Israel. The, you will have this feast this day and you will do this. You will have this feast and this festival that day and you will do this. We've all heard of Passover, right? That was an ordinance. On Passover, you will eat the unleavened bread. This is how you'll eat it. This is what you'll do. Then after that day, then you're going to go do this. It was a religious liturgical calendar that God set up. And in that calendar, he had feasts. He had festivals. God's nation, I just told you, they had to go to the place. It wasn't like, yeah, I'm having Super Bowl at my house tonight. You know, we're going to come over. No, it's pick up your kids, pick up your stuff, pick up your tithes, and go there. That was the law. You had to go there to that place where God had appointed and give that gift and have that festival. 
So think about it. I've got a whole nation descending into one city. That's a lot of people in a small place. You're going to need a lot of food. You're going to need a lot of stuff to drink and stuff to eat and supplies and provisions. You're going to need a lot of stuff right then for that week. And that's what God put in place. Set, set aside 10%. So when you all come together, this is a rejoicing. It's a festival. Nobody's going hungry. We ran out of food at my house recently at a get-together. There's nothing worse than that, to run out of food. I mean, it's just like everybody's like, the food's gone. What? That doesn't happen. Well, if the whole nation sets aside 10% to follow these feasts which God's law ordained them go follow, nobody's going hungry. People are able to rejoice in the Lord thy God for all his statutes and commandments under the law. That's what these people were doing. Um, and he made provision by commanding that tithe. In Deuteronomy 14 again, in verse 22, he says, Thou shalt truly tithe all the increase of thy seed, that the field bringeth forth year by increase. Wait, I'm, I'm just supposed to pay tithe on profits? What? What if you didn't have increase? What if you had a fire come through the field and I, I barely got enough to eat? I'm trying to feed my family. Well, you need to tithe. No. No, if you didn't have increase, you don't pay. The tithe is on the increase of the field. Look at... Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's just, if you're not in Deuteronomy 14... This is a tithe you'll never hear taught in a church. <laughs> in verse 23, it talks about go to the place that I, I've commanded, bring your corn and your wine and your flocks and your herds. Verse 24, you get that, I told you if you turn it into money, you've got to pay 20%. If the way be too long for thee, if you're talking to your wife and she says, Honey, we hauled 20 head of cattle, 30 sheep, those stupid goats, all the way to Jerusalem last year, I'm not doing it again this year. You know, I've just taken me and the kids. What do you do? Well, you turn it into money. Okay, well, I'm going to sell the cattle, put it in a change purse. We'll go there, honey. That's what we're talking about here. If the way be too long for thee, so that thou art not able to carry it, or if the place be too far from thee, um, thou shalt turn it into money, verse 25. And then you go. you still go to the place, you still go to Jerusalem for the festival, and look what you get to do. And thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever thy soul lusteth after. Big screen TV for everybody. Buy whatever you want. For oxen or for sheep or for wine or for strong drink or for whatsoever thy soul desireth. And thou shalt eat there before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice thou and thine household. That is the festival tithe. And you never, you never hear about a tithe having anything to do with you, you know, enjoying a festival. But that, this is Bible. This is the law. This is what Old Testament Israel was under. That's the second tithe. Third tithe, a lot of people will call it the poor tithe. This one was not every year. This one was once every three years, 10%. So what's that average out to? Three and a third percent. You give ten percent once every three years annually. It's three and a third percent. And this one also is not optional. You're in Deuteronomy 14. Look down a few verses. 28, 14, 28. 
At the end of three years thou shalt bring forth all the tithe of thine increase the same year, and shall lay it up within thy gates. And who gets it? And the Levite, because he has no part or inheritance with thee. Oh, the Levite gets a bonus. And the stranger, non-Jews, strangers in your midst, they can get it. The fatherless, the widow. Do you know what it means in an agrarian society like this when you're fatherless or you're a widow? There's no Obamacare. There's no, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. You are poor. You don't have a father. Your husband is dead. You are poor. There's no safety net. These people get the money. Which are within thy gates shall come. So all these people that are broke, they shall come and they shall eat and be satisfied. That the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hand which thou doest. And this tithe, remember, the first two tithes, you had to take them to Jerusalem where God was. This one, he says, keep it within your own gates, your own town. Take care of the poor that you walk by every day. That's what this tithe is for, to take care of those people. Um, And this tithe is also not optional. It's restated in 26 of Deuteronomy. And he talks about this same tithe again in 26.12. Yeah, and he says, I've given my tithe to the Levites and the stranger and the fatherless of the widow, just like you said. Um... And in verse 13, I've done this according to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me. I have not transgressed thy commandments, neither have I forgotten them. It's not an option. It's the law. Every third year you pay. It's not, I felt like giving to the poor this year. You have to. These people were under the law. That doesn't fit with, I purposed it in my own heart to do it. Now, I have omitted one additional tithe you find in the first part of your Bible. We'll get to that one next week, but there is one more we'll talk about next week. I mentioned was 10% good enough for Jesus. Sorry. Jesus, you know, eternal part of the Godhead. Obviously, in the Old Testament, 10% wasn't good enough for him. Turn over to Matthew 19. Anybody remember the story of the rich young man that came to Jesus and says, What do I do that I have eternal life? Matthew 19. I would... I would probably feel safe saying that I am the only preacher in Summit County that takes Jesus literally here in Matthew 19. I'm the only one that thinks he said exactly what he meant and meant exactly what he said here. You'll see why in a second. So the rich man says, what, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, this is the New Testament. Just look forward to the cross. No, he doesn't say that. He says, keep the commandments, verse 17. Then he says, which ones? Then we go through a list of commandments there, 19 and 20. Jesus said unto him in 21, he says, if thou will be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. Huh? 
Jesus, he's supposed to be grace, right? That's a 100% tithe. Go sell all of your stuff, then take the pile of money and give that away. That leaves you with zero. Huh? Why, Jesus? And thou shalt have, he says, give it to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And that's good news because they're looking for that kingdom from heaven to come down. You got all this, I'm laying up treasure there and it's going to come to me. And come and follow me. He's talking about, come on, me and Pete and the boys, we're going this way. Get rid of all your stuff and come and follow me. Huh? Now, every preacher in Summit County will say, what you need to understand here is Jesus knew his heart and he was testing him. And he said that. He didn't mean, really mean that, but he knew that the rich man would say no, which is why he said that, and he knew he wasn't good enough to be a follower of Jesus. You just read a whole lot of you into the text. I'm just going to read it and believe that the God who created language can say what he means and mean what he says. That's just me. Jesus tells the man to give away 100% of his stuff and follow him. And the young man said, wow, um, no. (laughs) Went away very sorrowful. Why? For he had great possessions. So you see Jesus make this claim to this guy, get rid of it all. No, I can't do that. Then Jesus looks over at his disciples and he says, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I say again to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Why is that? If you're broke, well, i got to sell my 87 Datsun and a couple sweatshirts and a 19-inch black and white TV. All right, Jesus, I'm with you. Bill Gates, you must get rid of $56 billion of stuff and come and follow me. Which one's going to happen? It's as simple as that. That's why Jesus said this. That's what Jesus was talking about. It's no more complicated or difficult than that. So his disciples heard it, and they said, You didn't really mean what you said, did did you, Jesus? No, they didn't say that. Let's just read the material. Verse 25. They were exceedingly amazed, saying, uh, Who then can be saved? If anybody's going to get in the kingdom, then they have to give away 100%. Who can be saved? Jesus said unto them, With men this is impossible, with both God all things are possible. Then Peter, you got to love Peter, he pipes up. And he said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have for that? We already did that. We did the 100% tithe, Lord. What do I get? Tell me about my treasure. He just told that guy he was going to have treasure. Tell me about mine. I did it. I did it. And this is what Jesus said. Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. That sounds good. Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You twelve men that followed me and did this and endured to the end, you're going to have a throne in this kingdom. And you're going to each judge one of the twelve tribes of Israel. That's a pretty high place in the kingdom. That's pretty nice. 
And everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. You see everlasting life there, conditional. You do this, you follow these commands, you keep these instructions, then you get it. That's not the gospel of the grace of God. That's not the gospel that we are saved by. It's absolutely not. It hadn't been revealed yet. But, okay, so if you can bring yourself to accept that Jesus actually meant to say that, and that it's literally as simple as it literally reads on your page in the Word of God, that leads you to another question. Why? Why would he tell everybody to get rid of everything? Basically, if you want to follow me, you have to be penniless. You have to be completely in poverty. Why? Well, you're in Matthew 19. Flip over one page, two pages, three pages, four pages. Read Matthew 24 when you get home. Jesus tells, in Matthew 24, he's telling them, The tribulation's coming. The abomination of desolation is coming. You're going to have to flee to the desert. You're going to have to run away and hide in the wilderness. There's going to be, uh, let's see here, false prophets shall rise and deceive many, and because iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold, uh, but the same that shall endure to the end, that same shall be saved. When you see the abomination of desolation in verse 15, then you flee into the mountains. Uh, let him who is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Let, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. You're going to have to run away. You're going to have to flee. You, I'm going to... God says that in the time of Jacob's trouble, just as it was in the time of Exodus, so shall it be again, where God is literally protecting them and feeding them, manna coming down from heaven, taking care of them, water coming out of rocks so they have water. That's literally going to happen again to Israel in the future. So, that's one thing. You're not going to need it. You're going to have to flee. You're going to have to get out of Dodge fast. And I'm going to have to take care of you until the time of the end. That's one reason. Second reason, who's heard of the beast? Mikhail Gorbachev, Barack Obama. No. <laughs> Who is the beast this week? I... Francis, the talking po- I don't know. Revelation 13. Get rid of all your stuff. Sell it. Turn it into money. Then get rid of the money. Interesting. Then four chapters later, you're heading into the tribulation, boys. Revelation 13 and verse 16. Start at verse 15. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Execution if you don't worship the beast. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a right, a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. That no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. So, if you did not take the mark of the beast, you cannot participate in the economy. You can't buy anything, you can't sell anything. Wow. Think about that for a second. 
I can't sell anything. I can't buy anything. What am I going to do? You're going to have to trust God to take care of you. Get rid of that money. You're not going to need it because you're going to be running away. And you won't be able to use it if you have it because you're not going to be able to buy or sell if you don't have that mark of the beast and you're following me. That's the why on this stuff. But people hear me say something like that. Wait, 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 Steve, you're talking, Jesus never talked about these people in front of him. We're going into the tribulation. No, I, I don't know where you heard that. That's nuts. You're crazy. Um, this command wasn't literal to literally sell all your stuff. Well, you're wrong, sir, whoever you are. I can read. Acts 2. The command wasn't literal. That's what they say. Jesus never said these people were going into the tribulation. What's Peter say in Acts 2, full of the Holy Ghost? Is he going to be making very many mistakes? I doubt it. Acts 2.16. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Has anybody ever read Joel? It's tribulation. It's end of the world. It's everything Jesus was talking about in Matthew 24. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day that the Lord come. Peter says, Hey folks, we're here. It's starting. Right now. He doesn't say this is like that or this may be. He says this is that. It's here. So what do the people do? People who are listening to Peter say this and the people who believed what Peter was saying, they do exactly what Jesus said to do in Matthew 19. Drop down in verse 44. And fear came upon every soul, in verse 33. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold, by the way, this is where Karl Marx came to teach Marxism to Christians. Most Christians think Acts 2 is the birth date of the church, so why wouldn't it be their doctrine? And look what they did. Verse 45, they did exactly what Jesus said to do in Matthew 19, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking of bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Two things. First time ever in history that communism has ever worked. One, because the people were endued by the Holy Spirit to walk in the statutes and judgments, and they were loving their neighbor as himself. Um, but, these people were doing exactly what Jesus said to do. All right, that's enough for this evening. There you have it. Three Old Testament tithes, 23 and a third percent. Then you have what I call the trib tithe. 100 per tithe, 10, 10 percent. Get rid of all of it. And next week, we're going to get into more of the why. Why 
should I give? Why do I give? Why am I commanded to give as I purpose in my heart? What does that mean to me? Why am I not under this? Why it would be wrong to try to put the two together and the consequences of that in your life and in your pocketbook. So with that, we will close in a word of prayer.